on September 19th, 2023, and the Vail Town Council is going to convene as the Vail Local Marketing <coughs> District for a presentation and discussion on the 2024 budget operating plan of the Vail Local Marketing District and the Vail Local Marketing District Advisory Council. We have Mia Vlar, our Economic oh, Development Director. Jana Morgan, our Vail Local Marketing District Advisory Council co-chair, Alex Jakubiak, our budget analyst, and Liz Gladich. Thank you, Mayor Langmaid. Um, we're very happy to be here today and appreciate your time. We are here to present to you the 2024 operating plan for the Vail Local Marketing District, and our co-chair, Jana Morgan, is here to uh, uh, help you understand what we're up to for 2024. First of all, I want to thank you all for um, your time and your confidence that you have in us as the as your advisory council for the uh, Vail Local Marketing District. And I also want to um, let you guys know that we as the VLMDAC take the budget very seriously. And uh, the entire board is very meticulous on what we spend money on and how we spend our, our budget. Um, so as you know, we do have Mia and Alex and Liz here, as well as some partners online if you have any more questions about anything we're going on to. Uh, so let's go on to the agenda. Are you doing this? Okay. Oh, it's right there. <laughs> okay. Um, so let's do a quick review of uh, what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to go over our preliminary results of 2023, uh, our 2023 operating plan. And then we go into our goals and objectives for 2024. And finally, we give you the full detail of the operating plan for 2024. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump right in and look back at some preliminary results of 2023. So 2023, as we stated in the memo, was a transition year for us at the Vail Local Marketing District. It was the first time that we chose to include early and late winter in our marketing plan uh, in the first time of the marketing district. And of course, our stewardship roadmap implementation mid-year. Uh, we also are in the process of developing a new brand that reflects community values and differentiates Vail in ways uh, that, builds, uh, that, that builds our competitive edge against our competitors. And then finally, um, this summer, we started the process for a 2024 campaign, including uh, shooting video and photography. Because obviously we have to shoot this year for next year. Uh, so the next slide that you're seeing is the 2023 summer campaign. We'll just kind of go over that real quick. Um, we were successful in increasing hotel searches, bookings, and then ultimately revenue. And uh, we found that people were really looking more for hotels. Um, this was through our uh, Adara impact. Um, and uh, the next slide is our winter campaign. This slide shows the incremental business that came in early and late winter. Um, this was the, our new piece this year, and we found uh, that we increased hotel searches by 20,000, resulting in 500 bookings and yielding over 500,000 in hotel revenue during those time periods, so during the early and the late um, winter time periods. And because this was our first year, I think the more valuable piece is that we gained insight into the behavior of these guests 
that are booking early and late. And so we're able to take that insight and put it towards our 2023-2024 campaign with our early and late um, marketing efforts. So this was a really great thing um, that we did uh, that we were able to look at. Our next uh, slide is the building loyalty and driving guest engagement. Um, that orange line up there is our uh, 2023 goal as it relates to loyalty and guest engagement with our database. And as you can see, we've met our goal already in four months early, and we're on track to exceed the goal by the end of 2023. Two-thirds of our contacts um, engage regularly with emails and we leverage their demographics to personalize content and drive engagement through emails. Uh, the next slide is our email performance, and you can see it has um, exceeded all of our goals and ultimately getting more eyes on our contact, content and engaging, uh, we're finding that our guests are engaging more in DiscoverVail, discovervail.com. So let's go over the operating plan for 2024. Um, this slide, as you guys are very familiar with, uh, is just a reminder that the VLMD aligns its objectives and priorities to the Town Council's action plan and vision. So 2024, uh, we were a building year. Um, we are looking at 2024 as a building year. Um, and uh, this operating plan is designed to address current economic challenges and we have made major initiatives for 2024 being our brand stewardship roadmap and the evolution of our DMO of the DMO uh, it's important that we focus on the evolution of our brand that will be built in 2024 and um, launched in 2025 so it's a long process uh, 2024 goals, as you focus on this slide, uh, focus on the far right-hand side and far left-hand side, and you'll see um, that in 2024, our goals are relatively flat to the 2023 forecast, with only occupancy and groups increasing by 1% to 2%. Uh, we're also being very conservative with our goals and considering the economy and all of our decisions. Uh, the proposed budget I'm going to actually turn this one over to Alex, and he's going to talk about our budget. And Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Thank you. <laughs> um, so to build the 2024 proposed budget, we start with the foundation of looking at our revenue forecast for that year. Uh, this is done in conjunction with looking at the town's overall revenue forecast, um, and these projections are done in line with our sales tax forecast. <clears throat> Um, for 2024, we're looking at a 2023 forecasted number, uh, which is year-to-date through July, and then forecasting very conservatively but optimistically for the rest of the year. We're forecasting down 6% for the rest of the summer, so that would be August through October, and then down 4% as well uh, through the end of the year, November, December. <clears throat> from there, we've actually forecasted down an additional 2% from our 2023 forecast for 2024. However, with the opening of the new Marriott Residence Inn, uh, we anticipate some extra revenue that brings us back up to a flat forecast, which is sort of easy to wrap your head around. Um, uh, this will continue to be monitored and adjusted as we move towards a budget resolution in coming months. Um, <clears throat> and from here, we also look then at our um, fund balance and reserve balance to see what is available to spend. 
The operating plan as proposed uh, includes 5.7 million in total spend and we'll get a little bit more in depth in where those dollars are going in later slides. But looking at, re at reserve balances, <clears throat> this slide shows us a history going back to 2019 of the VLMD budget compared to ending reserve balances. Uh, due to conservative budgeting um, and significant revenue growth over the last few years, we actually accumulated a significant fund balance in 2022 of $3.9 million. Because of this, uh, the council and the VLMD supported a one-time transfer to the general fund to support events funding and also results of the stewardship bail roadmap. Um, this year, we don't have quite as much available in reserve funding because of that one-time transfer. We're forecasting an available 2.5 million at the end of 2023. Um, and with the proposed spend of 5.7 in 2024 and our revenue projections, this leaves us with a fund balance of $2.2 million, uh, utilizing 311,000 in reserve spending. Um, and this funding is really being uh, directed towards building our new brand launch and prioritizing that brand strategy, uh, which Jenna and Liz will talk more about in the next slides here. Awesome. Thank, Thank you. you, Alex. Sure. Thanks. Um, okay, so as VLMD looks to the future, our 2024 strategic approach is guided by the business objectives identified here in these four, I call them buckets. Um, optimize visitation, building loyalty, lead stewardship, and brand positioning. Um, and uh, we'll dive deeper into each one of these buckets and give you more details on those. Um, so building this, this next slide is actually what we just talked about, those three bu four buckets, but it shows on the left-hand side that column is 2023 and where we spent our budget, the percentage, and on the right-hand side is what we're proposing to spend in 2024. Um, so that kind of is a, just a different look at what, uh, the, the, where we're spending our budget. Um, so we're going to go into our first bucket, which is our priority bucket, which is optimized visitation. Um, optimize visitation to target high net worth individuals, maximize stay, longer stays and higher spend, and gain greater understanding of the customer through research. So in 2023, we spent 53% uh, of our budget on this area, and we propose to spend 42% in 2024. We primarily are concentrating on growing market share and targeting campaigns and distribu video distribution, as well as concentrating on our Mexico market and attracting groups to Vail, back to Vail. Uh, our next bucket is the loyalty bucket, um, building loyalty to grow database and use data to understand our guests and enhance, enhance engagement and loyalty. So 2023, we spent 24% of our budget in this area, and we propose to spend a little bit more at 26% in 2024, um, primarily on our owned channels. So our, you know, our website, our emails, our, our social channels. Um, this is where our um, selection and investment in our partners really pays off. Uh, with Brown Analytics and Miles Partnership, we've really been able to understand the Vail guest like we've never understood it before. And we've been able to hyper-personalize, because of this data, we've been able to hyper-personalize emails um, that are, are um, and offers that are really growing our loyalty as well as visitations. Okay, the next slide, we are going into stewardship. Um, so the stewardship, of course, as you see, is kind of the golden thread that pulls through all four of our buckets, our, all four of our priority buckets. 
and uh, it's woven through all of our marketing strategies throughout from stewardship messaging in the visitation and loyalty buckets to developing a brand um, that better aligns with the community values in our brand positioning bucket, which is next. Our stewardship spend from 2023 to 2024 has tripled to support this. Um, so we're very excited about doing that. Uh, and our last one is the brand positioning. Um, to position Vail as the premier international mountain resort community and work with community partners to define, support, and deliver on the brand. So our spend in 23 and 24 is relatively flat. Um, spending most of our budget this year, as Alex was saying, on the new brand development, our strategy, and our production for the 2025 brand launch. So looking forward, the request of the VLMD is to approve the 2024 operating plan as presented. Any questions? Thank you, that's very helpful. You're welcome. My only comment really is about that um, targeting high net worth individuals. Mm -hmm. I just don't feel we should use that to describe what we're doing. That's been used against us by one of our partners um, claiming that and it makes us look like we don't want to be inclusive of everybody mm -hmm. and I, I know what the you know the cost of a lodge here is maybe only available to a high net worth individual but I just don't think that we should lead with that um, in that in those statements yeah, yeah. Totally, totally appreciate that and I think that the um, I think the industry as a whole is struggling with this particular kind of, we use nomenclature in marketing sometimes that's very specific and very tactical. And we've been trying to, to find a way to say that we want a guest who, um, who can, who can access Vail. We want Vail to be accessible. We want to provide opportunities for all different kinds of people. And at the same time, our research shows us that those who come longer tend to spend more money and resonate more with the values of the community and want to make a difference in the community. That's what our SMARI research that we did as part of the stewardship um, roadmap provided us. And so with all of that, we're struggling with how do we say what we're trying to say without being exclusive about it. So I really appreciate the comments and I think we'll take those yeah, to heart sure. and really yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not criticizing that. you in any way. I think we just need to take, up, take on that challenge right. and find a, a good way of well, communicating. I really love the build loyalty concepts and some of the language in there. So build on that. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Mayor. I mean, you said the same thing without saying high net worth guest. Yeah, we're just trying to. Right? So <laughs> like. We're, we're, we're crafting it. Yeah, yeah. And it's part of the brand process, to be honest, as well, because we're not going to be dishonest about who we're trying to attract, but we want to be genuine at the same time, yeah. right? So. I, I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's a fact of the industry we're in, right? Like, we, we, we are accessible, you know? It's not like the lifts get turned off if you're wearing, you know, Jeans. Jeans and <laughs> t-shirt or sweats or, or, if you're or wearing uh, you're, it, as long as you have some sort of clothing on in the spring, you get let up. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it, it's just, you know, I, I totally appreciate, I mean, I've had comments when, I forget who the woman was who was here with the. Kathy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she and I pushed back, you know, we all kind of pushed back because mm -hmm. it does just feel a little weird, but I think, you know, we have to own who we are um, and what this sport is, but um, you know, I, 
I think you're doing a great thing. <laughs> and I know I understand the, the hesitancy around some of that stuff, but like, you know, I think perhaps it's on us to think about, you know, do we want a hostel in Vail? Right? Like that's no, what, that's not what I'm but, saying. But I I'm think you could have like said that, the same thing without but, using that little phrase. But like that's like that's part of like the spectrum of like our lodging, right? Like right. we have lodging that like our cheapest lodge is a residence in, right? And that's not you know, so it's just unfortunately it's just I, kind I of the way it's all trips. built. So And you know it also is as we talked about the stewardship roadmap. Um, we find that the higher net individuals, or however we call them, do tend to stay longer and have that um, loyalty and, and more respect for um, our natural resources. Any other questions? Yeah, this summer is down 6% compared to last summer. What's going on? Where are we losing market share? Yeah, it's an interesting question, Kevin. I think we... Um, we've seen some really substantial data coming out of the kind of macro travel world. One is that a lot of folks had pent up demand for European vacations. And a tremendous amount of people went abroad this year from the United States to other countries, especially to Europe. And it definitely affected our uh, average night, late, nightly stay. It was a little bit shorter. And the customer who was here was definitely not at, at the same level as what we normally see. And again, I think this is one of those normalizing points where it's because of the pent up demand from um, not being able to travel. Even last summer, a lot, of, a lot of Europe was still kind of shut down. Then you've got the economic right headwinds. You've got things going on in the broader economy, and people are a little bit more hesitant. Um, there's a shorter booking window. There's a slightly um, less spend on those rooms. We've lowered our ADRs overall, you know, through the community, um, but at the same time, occupancies have been, you know, a little bit soft. So with all of these kind of indicators, that's why we're being a little conservative with our approach to next year and ensuring that we have a lot of powder dry to be able to face whatever whatever comes up next. What if it doesn't work? What if our projections just keep going down summer to summer? Well, what's really exciting Because I thought that's what the marketing district was supposed to focus on was summer visitation. So, right. So what, what's, what's interesting is that the early winter is remarkably strong. And we think that has a lot to do with, um, one, of course, like this recovery. But last winter, early winter was so strong. And people's memories are long when it comes to a single season. And so the, the occupancy numbers for the early part of the winter are unbelievable. We're, heading, we're ahead of the industry in that, in that regard. So I think to speak about next summer and how that might look is kind of difficult at this point. Um, we need a lot more kind of information before we can, can face that. But I think we're, we're prepared to address that when we get there. Yeah, and what we did learn so far in our, in our um, media results through Adara, which tracks, if you see an ad, it follows it all the way through to booking. Um, and so what we did see was that flight searches were down. You know, organic flight searches were down, flight bookings were down, but our hotel bookings were up. And so we also, also our travel in tender. So we're able to target people. The high net worth guest was more traveling elsewhere this year. We were able to then target people who were travel in tenders and getting them here. It just was not as much of the fly market this summer to Vail. People love Oktoberfest, that's for sure. <laughs> we saw that. <laughs> uh, I am also looking forward to like this re, I don't know if it's a rebrand or a re, you know, just kind of the new branding. Um, you know, I think that kind of the whole, all the ski towns maybe moved a little too much into a sea of sameness. And I think that, you know, there is a story to tell in Vail that is uniquely Vail. 
Um, you know, while skiing powder is great universally, it's not the same in every community, and every community is different. And so, I'm looking forward to to seeing what you all come up with and what our partners come up with. Travis, if you see the um, the Michelin, um, the, that huge Michelin screen that was that was up there, and everybody, all the pictures that are being taken up there, Discover Vale, I was so proud because that just jumped out, and Aspen just felt like it was this tiny little their their logo, and I just was so proud of that that you know we're already there, but we're going to get better, and so it was really um, a great moment for all of us that were there and seeing Discover Veil so huge on the screen world, worldwide in all these photos. So yeah, it's exciting. Any other questions, comments? Okay, so what comes next? We'd love to have a motion to approve the operating plan for 2024 for the Veil Local Marketing District. Madam Mayor, I move we approve the Vail Local Marketing District Operating Plan for 2024. Second. Okay, we've got a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. I'm also in favor. Any opposed? Motion passes 5-0. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you, guys. See you in November. Thank you. Cheers. Okay, now we will reconvene as the Vail Town Council. And we'll, after we get our technology switched here, we will start off with a presentation and discussion about the Eagle County Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Readiness Plan and an update on that. And we've got Gina McCracken and Will Barrower of the Climate Action Collaborative. And Beth Markham, Town of Vale Environmental Sustainability Manager. Welcome. All right, you guys ready? Ready, for ready as we'll ever be. Okay, <laughs> great. Um, hi everyone, thanks for having us. Uh, I believe this is uh, mine and Will's first time before this council, so uh, we appreciate you having us and hearing our presentation. Um, I'm Gina McCracken, the Climate Action Collaborative Manager, which I know Vail has been a big part of over the last several years, um, and I'm accompanied by Will Brar, our CAC coordinator. Um, and we're going to be chatting about the Eagle County EV infrastructure plan and um, how it aligns with Town of Vale's plan and uh, some of the decision making involved in the creation of our plan. Okay, so first I just want to take a moment to center us in those climate action plan goals that um, Town of Vale has also committed to. So um, the two big ones that I want to draw attention to are on this top row here in green. Um, we have a goal to see 50% emissions reduction by 2030 and 80% by 2050. This is what we are currently committed to, and um, EV adoption will play a really large role in ensuring that we can meet these goals. So just a bit on our energy inventories. Um, right now, the county is finalizing their 2022 inventories. We will hopefully be able to share those numbers within the next week or so here. Um, but for now, we can look to 2021. 
Um, and the big thing to note here is just that ground transportation is the second largest source of emissions in Eagle County at 42%. Um, so big bucket of emissions that we really need to work on driving down um, and EV adoption is one of those key strategies. Um, and we're seeing this trend mirrored at, at the state level. Um, this was the most recent energy inventory or comprehensive energy inventory that we were able to pull at the time of presentation. And transportation is tied in second at the state level for source of emissions. So um, big issue that we need to tackle here and at the state level. So now drawing our attention to our climate action plan, this is in the transportation and mobility section. So in each of our sector area sections of the plan, we have modeled um, immediate priority actions. And these were modeled by climate scientists for their ability to draw down those emissions. Um, so the first one is really the driver of the EV infrastructure plan. And this priority action tells us that we really need to see a 2% increase in EV penetration each year as a percentage of all registered vehicles in Eagle County. So that's going up 2% each year. Um, and on the right-hand side, we can see how this models out for our emissions reduction. And um, I will just share that this is one of the strongest strategies that we have available to us to meet our goals. So all of these things really laddered up to the creation of the Eagle County EV infrastructure plan. And I will share more about that now. So how did we create the plan? Well, we started out by compiling the EV task force as a subgroup of the um, transportation working group. So we worked with local experts in the EV fields across our community, as well as pulled in government representatives from um, all of our communities. And uh, from Town of Vale, we had Chris Southwick as a part of this effort. And I believe that your staff was going through the creation of your own plan at the time. So it was a really wonderful time to come together um, and be able to align those goals and make sure that they were complementary to each other. Um, so on timeline, um, our meetings occurred between August and December of 2022. Um, and that's where we came together and made decisions that are then relayed in the plan. We then wrote and published the plan. Um, the plan did go through a series, many series of feedback and editing from different groups across the community, such as the task force itself, the transportation working group, the climate action collaborative board. Um, so we went through all that editing and then published the plan. And then um, Will and I here embarked on somewhat of a road show across the community to present the plan and just make sure that our community members were well educated on our expectations um, around EV adoption and how we are going to support that. Um, and since then, we have also been working on implementation of those strategies that we'll discuss later on in this presentation. Um, just want to note a bit about scope of the plan. So we really only focused on EV adoption and EV infrastructure in this plan. Um, when we first got together, we did discuss scope, you know, should we think larger to public transit and multimodal transportation, but just due to the urgency around EV adoption and ensuring that our infrastructure supply was built out enough to support such adoption, we decided to just move forward with the EV and EV infrastructure focus. So what does the plan call for? Commensurate with that climate action plan goal of the 2% increase year over year, we'll need roughly 13,542 EVs on the road in Eagle County by 2030. As of August of 2023, there were 1,186, 177 of which were in Vale. Um, per Town of Vale's plan, it looks like the goal is to see around 190 by year end of 2023. So congratulations, you're very close to meeting that goal. Uh, this graph just showcases some of those benchmarks uh, that ladder up to the 2030 number of EVs we need to meet the Climate Action Plan goal. <coughs> So why across the county aren't we seeing um, that 3,000 EVs by now? 
the number that we were hoping to be at by 2022. Well, we've really likened this to a lack of sufficient and widespread and equitably placed EV chargers across the community, and survey data supports our assumptions here. So that is why we took the if you build it, they will buy it approach. If you build it EV charging infrastructure, they will buy it EVs um, with the EV plan, and that became the sole focus of our work. So what does the EV plan call for pertinent to these chargers? Well, our EV task force determined a 12 to one EV to public plug ratio, meaning for every 12 EVs registered to the county, there's one public or semi-public plug available to that EV. Um, we determined this number based on a myriad of factors. We looked at what our other mountain community neighbors were doing, what other um, aggressive states like California are suggesting for their communities, and then also taking knowledge of the fact that we live off I-70 and are very um, tourism dependent. And so we need to have ample plugs and infrastructure to support that. So based on that number, um, we'll need to see 1,129 public plugs across Eagle County by 2030. I emphasize plugs because most um, EV chargers have two plugs on them. So cut that number in half. That's about the number of chargers that we'll need to see. And um, the table on the right shows, um, or the graph on the right shows those benchmarks as well. So as of August of 2023, there were 219 of these plugs, 67 of which are in Vail, and then we break that down by level two and level three ports. Um, looking at Vail's current EV to plug ratio, it's about three to one, so that's, that's awesome. Um, but we understand that because of tourism dependency here and how many visitors we have, that we need to make sure that Vail has enough plugs to support that infrastructure. There are a lot of guests coming up from Denver for the day or for the weekend that will need places to charge, and we want to ensure that they can adequately charge those EVs and know that they can come here um, and feel supported as an EV owner. Um, one area that we will need to see more EV infrastructure um, in is really to support those multifamily housing residents. This is a theme across our communities. Um, we have a lot of multifamily housing residents and they're struggling to find ways to, to adequately supply those, those units in those areas with EV charging. Also in the plan are funding infrastructure and outreach strategies, which we'll detail later on. So why install EV charging now? We wanna avoid unsafe charging and basically not do what's in this picture on the right-hand side. Um, we also wanna meet the moment with EV and EV charging grants and incentives. There's a lot of resources out there right now and we really need to be taking advantage of them before they go away. Um, and then finally, to just encourage that EV adoption in support of our climate action goals. So one of the unique features of our plan that we were able to incorporate was a mapping tool. So we can see a screen grab of that up above. And basically what we did was we came together as a task force and determined some siting criteria. So basically criteria that tell us that certain areas of our community are priority locations for EV infrastructure. We worked with the county GIS team to pull the property codes for these um, key areas or priority areas and we're able to categorize those into three large buckets. Um, the first of which is multifamily, so you can see from the screenshot these purple parcels. So everything denoted in purple is duplexes, triplexes, large and small multifamily, condominiums, and manufactured home, homes and parks. Um, and then we have a commercial section, and so for that one, we pulled everything from merchandising, lodging, restaurants, special purpose, etc. And then we have the government-owned parcels in red that tell us where administrative offices are, parks and recreation, and higher education institutions. Um, so we can think of these parcels in the mapping tool as showing us where we want to see this charging infrastructure, and then using Evaluate Colorado, which is the state's um, 
tool that they use to keep track of where chargers exist across the state. Um, we were able to pull that data set and overlay it onto these maps. So those icons, the blue and purple icons that you see are all the current chargers that exist. So um, local government staff can go to these maps. Each region of our community has one associated with that municipality. Um, look at those priority locations where the chargers currently exist, identify the deserts, and then make in, informed recommendations on where these chargers should go. What's the difference between a blue charger and a I believe the blues are level three chargers, so those DCFCs and the purples are level two. And the cool thing is you can click on these parcels in the actual maps themselves and they'll give you some more information. It'll say level two and give you the coordinates and then same for the property um, parcels. You can see like the owner and what information is associated with it. Um, and these links to the maps can be found within the EV infrastructure plan. Um, I did want to point out that this mapping tool and the creation of it is complementary to one of the strategies found within Town of Vale's plan um, to develop criteria to prioritize charging infrastructure. So we have gone ahead and created a, a countywide, essentially, heat map that really can give us this information. Um, so I do want to point out some priority areas for the Town of Vale that we identified when looking at these maps. And the, the biggest thing to note that we realized was that West Vale, in comparison to Vale as a whole, is comparatively a charging desert within Vale. Um, so one of our first priority areas that we'd like to highlight is the Donovan Park area for both level two and level three chargers. Um, we think this is an awesome area because one, it's town land, so you all have jurisdiction over placing a charger there. Um, there are a lot of multifamily residents that live in Westvale, as you know, and so we can't necessarily install chargers on those properties for those folks, but what we can do is supply those chargers in public locations and encourage them to use them if they want to adopt an EV. Additionally, um, Donovan Park has a lot of amenities, and this is oftentimes used as a ski area or ski parking area in the winter, and so folks from Denver can come up, park there, keep their car charged, go ski, and then come back and get, get on with their travels. Um, parking or supplying charging in this area also aligns with the Westvale Master Plan action to increase EV charging stations in this location. A second location to consider is Stevens Park. We recommend level three charges in this area just because there, there is a lack of amenities. There aren't really indoor structures um, or places where people can hang out. Um, but this could similarly tackle the need for multifamily residents to have that EV charging infrastructure um, and have a place to hang out and charge their car. Um, and if it's level three, they can get that charge in 30 minutes to an hour and get on their way. So finally, I just want to dive into some of the strategies within our plan and then discuss how it aligns with what's in Town of Vale's plan. Um, so you all know our strategies as the CAC produced this plan are sometimes government facing, some of which are utility facing, and some of which are education or community organization facing. So we'll really only discuss with you our recommended strategies for those governments. Um, so here, within our Eagle County plan, we categorized our strategies in those three sections, the first of which is funding. So the two government-facing funding strategies that we recommend are to offer supplemental funding for EV charging installation projects. Um, this is similar to what the county does through their EV accelerator program. It essentially says that governments have the ability to set aside a bucket of funds and, let's say, a multifamily housing community secures um, charge-ahead funding for chargers within their um, complex, but there's still that 10 to 20% gap that they need to fill. Let's say they don't have access to capital to fill the gap. Perhaps the town can offer those funds to help fill gaps within these really um, key locations that we need to see charging. And then the second government-facing funding strategy would be to offer a local grant 
um, for these EV projects yourselves. So you could come up with the criteria for grant applications and really control where you want to see these dollars going to um, for local EV charging. Um, and this aligns with Town of Vale's strategies and actions. Um, the first of which is that Town of Vale is actually the only community within the county offering EV and EV charging rebates. Um, so that's awesome. We're helping close the gap in that way by offering that $1,000 uh, to residents for either an EV or an EV charger. And then within Town of Vale's plan, there are strategies calling out the need for more EV and EVSC incentives for both residents and workforce, and a suggestion to have an annual line item budget for EV charging installation and maintenance. How much does it cost for a charger? <laughs> That's such a fun question. Um, I feel like it's been hundreds of thousands when it's come in front of us. It and really here depends. it says $1,000 per property up to 50% of yeah. budget costs. So well, I'm guessing it's more than two grand. Yeah. It typically is more than that, but there's a lot of different factors that go into that. You know, whether they require electrical upgrades to transformers, um, that can increase the cost pretty rapidly. Um, and then just other installation construction costs can be pretty expensive. But um, some homes, you know, you can get a free level two charger from Holy Cross Energy um, if you are a member of, of theirs. Um, and then you just pay for the installation. And so some of the less tricky installs, um, it's just the cost of an electrician coming out and installing it and then the, the monthly fees. So it can vary from a couple thousand dollars to many, many thousands, <laughs> depending on what it is. You know, um, some of the projects that, that we have undertaken here in Vail, you know, have either required some um, trenching or getting uh, the conduit um, installed up and above, um, you know, in parking structures and things. So right. it, there's a lot of factors that go into that. So that's a, a hard question to give a one specific response to. Do you know how it's worked out at residences at Mainvale? Do they have that in there? Didn't we include that? You know, I'm, I believe so. Greg is coming up. <laughs> Um, so at Residence Mainvale, um, what we put in was within the garage, there's outlets um, more for level one because the residents are going to be overnight. Um, but every column has two outlets, so you could charge up to four vehicles um, because they're tandem parking there um, at every column. So more than 50% of their parking spaces are available for charging. And how much extra did that cost? What's that? How much extra did that cost? Uh, that was because it was during construction, it was like $13,000. That's pretty minor. Um, yeah. And then we put conduits across the parking lot so that future we could serve the rest of the, the parking lot. We did start to look at level twos and level threes, but because they're going to be parking there overnight, you know, felt right. just a level one in most every car you buy comes with a level one charger. So, so when we address it during new construction, it's a, a lot more affordable yes yeah. absolutely key recommendation to future proof if you're already going to be investing in you know yeah. trenching and and getting into the ground you might as well future proof for those um, chargers so the next category of strategies that our EV task force came up with were pertinent to infrastructure and um, a lot more of these are government facing. So this first one, require installation of EV charging and new construction and large renovations. Um, Town of Vail already has in place through EV Ready Building Code, which is awesome. 
Uh, the second one, incentivizing EV charging and local development codes. This is really a strategy that says that local governments can do things like provide development bonuses, um, which is where you can work with a developer um, to come up with favorable circumstances for them if they're offer or if they're willing to offer um, an added public benefit to the community through their development process. So an example that we've been sharing about this is maybe requiring the overall number of parking spaces needed by code within a development if they're willing to increase the number of EV installed spaces in that location. Um, this offers your planning staff some flexibility to make sure that the town gets some of what they want um, through these negotiations with developers and um, something that Town of Avon does and so um, they've had a lot of success with this in, in um, getting some more EV chargers installed. The next strategy that's infrastructure related is streamlining the permitting process for EV chargers. Um, this looks different across communities and um, is just a suggestion that we could create a separate EV charging permit to make it a little bit easier for those developers and folks that want to install chargers, perhaps waiving fees to do so as well. Um, I do want to state that we are well aware of the concerns around EV charging and lithium ion batteries and fire. and so. This strategy is not suggesting that these permits don't go across the desk of the fire chief, um, but just to say that we could remove unnecessary barriers um, and complications or challenges within these permitting processes to further incentivize chargers. This is sounding a lot like conversations that are happening to expedite affordable housing initiatives too. And so, I mean, I think it's probably, hopefully at the state, these two are being coupled, but it seems like, you know, just making sure that these strategies are coupled would be a, a wise move forward so we don't lose out on opportunities. Yeah, absolutely, thank you for that. The last one here is coordination with electric utility providers and this is really just suggesting that our local governments coordinate closely with their utility providers, in this case that would be Holy Cross Energy, um, to best understand where those locations are currently that Town of Vail has electrical capacity and can efficiently and affordably install EV chargers soon. Um, there is quite a bit of alignment here with Town of Vale's plan. Of course, as I shared, that EV-ready building co code is in place, which is awesome for new construction. And then there are strategies within Town of Vale's plan that call out to standardizing and streamlining that EV permitting and then aligning those development codes to incentivize uh, EV charging. And finally, we came up with some education and outreach strategies. None of these within our plan are particularly government-facing, but do align with some of your plan's government-facing strategies, um, such as providing those workplace um, charging infrastructure to town employees. That is something that we call out within educating businesses and encouraging that workplace charging. Um, and then providing those multilingual resources and educational opportunities. We call this out as we suggest hosting more hands-on events and having um, resources that are plentiful and also inclusive of our multilingual community. So in summary, the county plan and Town of Vale's plan are very complementary and aligned and in support of one another. Um, Town of Vale has absolutely demonstrated leadership in ensuring that that EV infrastructure is built out and in support of EV adoption and those statistics that we shared stand in demonstration of that. However, there's more work to be done and we're particularly seeing this um, within Town of Vale but across the county um, as related to multifamily housing and how we can supply those residents with enough charging infrastructure. Um, and finally, the Climate Action Collaborative and Town of Vale staff will continue to work together to ensure that we're a statewide leader in these efforts. Thank you, Gina. Very professional presentation there. Lots of good information. Yeah. Yeah, there's some big multifamilies out there that um, I'm curious whether or not there's opportunities to install more like Pitkin Creek. That's a big one out there. 
seems like even though there may be more chargers out in Eastvale, they're probably not tied to multifamily so much. Mm -hmm. So that could also be an opportunity for us. Yeah. Did you guys look at putting chargers in the commercial district as opposed to in the parks? In which parks? Well, so, so for instance, in Westvale, you say it's a charging desert. Um, you looked at Donovan Park and you looked at Stevens Park. Did you look at putting it in the, what the effect would be if we put it in the commercial district instead? Yeah, definitely. It's important and we've been recommending it to local governments. A challenge with providing that recommendation here is that it would ultimately not be up to you. Um, you could perhaps instruct staff to go to King Supers or City Market Apologies um, and say, you know, and try and work with those individuals to install that infrastructure. But um, we just tried to focus on pieces of land that you actually had access to and authority over. Okay. But don't we have some say in uh, the Vale Commons City Market complex and parking area there? I'm not sure exactly how much say we do, but or we have. I know we do have some units there, so I'm sure there's there's some leverage there. Yeah, that would be when I was looking through the maps. I wanted to suggest that area, and then I kind of walked back and was like, well, it might not be super productive for this group, but um, it definitely is a key location that could serve a purpose within the Westvale area. Yeah, I think definitely starting the conversations. Um, is never a bad thing. I know City Market was interested in installing chargers and they did reach out. Um, they were going to apply for a charge ahead grant when they were doing their parking lot redevelopment, but I don't think that ever came to fruition. So yeah, um, they might need a little bit of assistance. I think we're going to hear from some citizens um, this evening about how uh, challenging their construction project and their parking lot has been. Ah, yes. <laughs> um, and I. I did hear that um, uh, there was a grant received for an installation of a level three uh, charger in that area. However, um, we discovered today that there were some challenges with that and it fell through. So they were going to place one out near McDonald's, but I'm not sure exactly why it fell through. So we're, we're looking into that. Hmm. That's odd. Mm -hmm. Any other questions? for Gina or Will or me. <laughs> Any questions from council? I mean, I guess, you know, the if you build it, they will come is pretty expensive. Yeah. And Tesla's doing this for profit, Yeah. right? Like they just got $6 billion or something from the federal government because of their relation, you know, allowing their chargers to work for Ford and all those other. <laughs> You know what opportunities are out there? Charge points a public company that does all this stuff. What opportunities are out there to kind of do something with them on this? Yeah, it's a good question, and it, it we truly don't know too much about the Tesla team and what's driving their decision making on working with certain municipalities and trying to place these chargers. We hear a lot of stories about local government staff on the Western Slope getting approached by Tesla saying, you know, we would like to request funding at X dollar amount to install XYZ chargers, and oftentimes they will even subsidize these chargers. Um, so, you know, it, it could be something worth exploring, <laughs> but it is not a rabbit hole that we have gone down just yet in terms of understanding what um, private companies are trying to do in this space. We have been approached by a few um, private companies. Um, Jeep, for instance, came to us and said, hey, could we 
you know, rent one of your parking spaces and put a charger in there. And um, this was a while ago, and we weren't quite ready to give up parking spaces in the parking garage to a specific uh, user type like that. But I think that there's conversations that we can have, um, you know, because it would only be that particular charger would only be for one specific vehicle. So that one spot would not be available to the general public. But I think there would be, um, there could be conversations now, especially with Tesla's network opening up to, to other uh, models. I think there's some opportunities to explore. Okay, any other questions? All right, well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Okay, up next on our agenda is a discussion about the lift tax, and uh, I think we had requested some more information on how that is calculated, and we've got Alex Jakubiak, our budget analyst and short-term rental manager here to give us an update. Uh, thank you, Mayor Langmaid. Um, before I jump into the calculation portion of the lift tax, uh, I'm going to go over a brief history of that tax for you guys. Um, starting in 1966, the town exacted a 2% business and occupation tax on tow and lift operations. Um, and then sometime after that, Vail Associates also began remitting a voluntary 2% additional portion of their revenue to the town with the understanding that it would support transportation systems within the town of Vale. In June of 1992, prior to the enactment of the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, uh, this 4% tax was officially adopted by ordinance from the town, uh, and this was supported by Vale Associates. Um, and this is now known as the Ski Area Lift Ticket Admissions Tax. And this is the same, the same ordinance that we are collecting Ski Area Admissions Tax under today. <clears throat> um, since 1992, operations at Vail Mountain obviously have changed significantly. There are many new passes that have been sold in that time, and over the last 20 years or so, town staff has reached out and received confirmation of how the lift tax is calculated on certain pass products. Uh, most recently, uh, Carly and I spoke uh, many times with Vail Resort's finance department last year to receive an updated confirmation of this. Um, and uh, based on those conversations, we do not see a significant change in how they are calculating that tax today versus when we first received confirmation in 2003. Um, so on the next slide, I will attempt to explain that calculation. <laughs> um, the, at the very bottom here, we see a mathematical representation of how we get to the amount of past revenue that's actually allocated to Vail Mountain for the purpose of calculating our 4% lift tax. What happens at the beginning of each season uh, is that Vail Resorts is accumulating all the pass sales for each pass type. So they have a separate bucket essentially for epic pass sales, epic local pass sales, epic day passes, um, and all the other passes that they sell. I believe there are a significant number of those. Um, and not all of them gain access to every mountain, of course. <clears throat> they take that number and then they utilize a formula assuming the number of days available at each mountain that that pass can be used at to determine an effective pass price 
at the beginning of the season. This is an estimate, um, and they apply that pass rate every time that pass is scanned at a certain mountain. Uh, so say, we don't know what that number is, that's not public knowledge, but say it were $30. Every time someone scans their Epic Pass, they're recognizing that revenue of $30 at Vail Mountain, and then they use that figure to calculate our sales tax throughout the season, or lift tax throughout the season. At, throughout the season, however, after every month is my understanding, as well as at the very end of the season, they do true-ups to match this figure to actual pass uh, usage and costs. Um, it had been suggested in the letters we've received in the past that this true-up is no more than 2%, and that figure was confirmed to us last year as well. A separate factor that contributes to the revenue that, we that is allocated to Vail Mountain um, are partner resort scans. So Vail Resorts has a number of partner mountains like Telluride or um, mountains in Japan where you can use your Epic Pass to ski a certain number of days. Um, they have a contractual rate with these mountains uh, that's not included in the effective pass price that's calculated. They deduct this contractual rate from the revenue bucket before they do their allocation to their Vail Resorts own mountains. After that's deducted, um, Vail Mountain and all Vail Resorts owned mountains receive an equal portion of the revenue from pass sales based on the number of times passes are used at each mountain. So on the next slide here, uh, this is a very simplified version of how that calculation might work if we assume only one pass were sold in a given season. So in this example, <clears throat> we're looking at one epic pass sale for John Doe. He purchases pass at the beginning of the season for $900. In real life, this would be allocate, or this would be grouped with all the pass sales for epic passes. Okay. And that calculation we described on the previous slide would be imputed on top of that. For this example uh, purpose, we're going to look at it as though his is the only pass in that revenue bucket and how that might be allocated in these different scenarios. Um, in his season, we assume that John Doe has used his pass 23 times. Um, if we were to just do a straight line or equal appropriation of that pass sale, that would be about $39 per scan. Sorry. Just for clarification, we assume or they assume? We're just assuming for this okay. example. All right, thank you. This is, these are not real figures. Um, none of these numbers have been confirmed. It's really just made up numbers to exemplify how this calculation works. So assuming John Doe purchases pass for $900 and uses it 23 times, <clears throat> If it were divided equally among all of those past scans, it would be about $39 per scan. However, in our example, he uses that pass three times at a partner resort that has a contractual rate of $100 per scan. Um, we don't know what these contractual rates are again. It could be higher or lower than this. So in that scenario, $300 of his $900 pass would be allocated to that partner resort. This is then deducted from his pass price, resulting in $600 remaining uh, to be allocated amongst VR-owned resorts. Assuming then that he uses that pass an equal number of times at, at Vail Mountain, as well as another mountain, which could be located out of state, uh, Wisconsin, the East Coast, wherever that pass is available, we would assume then that both mountains are receiving an equal share of $300 from the remaining $600 of his pass. That is then the calculated number 
uh, that it, our 4% lift tax is based on at the end of the day. Um, so from there, I'd ask you guys if there are questions about the lift tax calculation, if I can help clarify that before I move on to my next final slide. Thank you, Alex. Does anybody have any questions for Alex? You know, Mayor, I, I don't have a question, but I'll comment on what Alex said. You know, um, I think we, you know, we can talk about it privately to an executive session, but a couple takes I had and, you know, when looking at it, I think I shared with you yesterday, I think, I mean, last meeting is that, you know, at the very least, you know, the kind of language is dated. It allows for this type of interpretation by the taxpayer. At the very least, you know, uh, you, you know, you could look at the language and be more precise um, about how it's collected, and you could drive that more than the taxpayer. You know, secondly, um, um, you know, we get a lot of information that this is proprietary information. You know, this happens all the time in private private corporations. Um, uh, the way around that is just have them audited. And what you do is you get a third-party auditor who signs an NDA. So you never see the information. It stays proprietary. But it's hard to know uh, as a board whether you should do anything with the tax unless you know, you know if you're getting paid or not. Um, and I, th I see that as the only way around this proprietary um, issue where we just got to kind of take their word for it. Okay. Um, so, f based from there, um, the next thing we wanted to show you is uh, lift tax collection history here. Um, and this also overlays uh, the Epic Pass price uh, throughout the seasons that we've demonstrated here. Um, in blue on this chart, we see ski season lift tax collections November through April. Um, and at the very top in the smaller sl slice uh, of orange is our summer collections of May through October. Um, significantly, you'll notice that uh, the trend line here for lift tax collections has been pretty steady and pretty closely following Epic Pass prices up until impacts from the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and then sort of after that, uh, the Epic Pass price was dropped but we see that our, our lift tax collections actually increased in more recent years due to visitation increases. Significantly, uh, summer collections have gone up. Um, 2020 or 2021 summer collections were up 142% compared to the prior year. Um, and this has been a real growth area for us in the lift tax collections. Uh, this year is trending down slightly uh, with regard to summer tax collections there. Um, but overall, it is still up compared to uh, 2020. Um, and I guess, yeah, again, from there, I would ask if there are additional questions regarding these items. Any additional questions for Alex? Does the um, trend line match overall sales tax collections? In other words, if you took out the lift tax and followed what we collect from other businesses? Um, I, I think we don't, we don't see the same product? decline due to the COVID pandemic. However, Vail Mountain closed early that season. Mm -hmm. um, what we don't know here also without, as Matt mentioned, doing any formal audit, we don't know what portion of this is due to pass usage versus daily lift ticket sales. Uh, we don't have that knowledge here. Um, so I would anticipate, you know, in those years when we see a decline, uh, the daily pass sales 
or daily lift ticket sales were down. However, past usage we would assume would be allocated in a similar fashion to prior years. Um, so there's definitely variation from the sales tax trend line over the last few years there. However, the increases most recently see, we've seen definitely follow that increase in sales tax too. I'd have to do a formal uh, look through to see exactly how the percentages line up. But it kind of makes sense because they were operating very differently. Mm -hmm. You know, because they couldn't well, load full gondolas yeah. even in the set, yeah. you know, yeah. and things like that. So yeah. it does, if you look at it, it does kind of make, make sense. And they didn't, they didn't run Adventure Ridge. No. You know, another thing I had on my list that I forgot to mention, Mayor, is, is, you know, you've looked at RET since that time and kind of added the uses by ordinance. Uh, you, you, you've expanded the use of the tax. You know, you think about this was pre-Tavis this 30 years ago. Um, so obviously the impacts on the community are more than just, you know, what was originally talked about transportation, you know, housing is a big one. Um, so I, it's something for the next council to think about, but if you do do something, I mean, uses are something you need to really consider in the fact that it was a very narrow scope of vision back then and it's kind of impacted us way more in multiple different ways. I mean, it sounds like the fiscally responsible thing to do would be to uh, consider doing an audit and relooking at some of that language in conjunction with that. And I don't know. Well, I think we can talk about it. I'll give you some legal advice in the next meeting. I'll set it for a quick exact session so we can talk privately. I mean, I, I mentioned something about this along with others, so I just wanted to say thanks for putting it together because, you know, even as, you know, in your hypotheticals, like it's, it's helpful to just kind of try to understand. I mean, it does, it, it makes sense in a lot of ways, but I also, you know, there is an interesting relationship between, you know, the more people use the pass and veil, there's, the, assuming they're also skiing in other places, you kind of see more impact yet diminishing returns. And I, and I also, I think the other piece is, um, you know, understanding who their average user is, right? Like their average user doesn't ski like as much as a lot of us do. And so sometimes we project, oh, well, isn't it natural that you ski 45 days a season? And I think the average skier skis significantly less than that. So, you know, I think this is a great start to a conversation and just kind of understanding a little bit more and so. Thank you. And to Matt's point earlier, um, the calculation is according to the, the taxpayer, and they do go by the generally accepted accounting rules, but that doesn't necessarily translate to a definition by um, the taxing entity. So that is something we could look at. What concerns me is the lack of transparency. I mean, you come and spend a dollar at Barton Yetis or a dollar at, at Garoppafine Wines, and you're going to get four cents out of it for the town. And I have no idea how this is made, makes sense. So I think an audit's the way we need to head for clarity mm -hmm. and transparency. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, thank you, Alex. All right, thank you. Do we get to see you again? Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> good. <laughs> it's a great day. It's the Alex show. All right, moving on, we're on to a revenue sources discussion. And we've got Alex here. Hey. <laughs> Hello again. <laughs> um, so 
sort of related to lift tax, we felt it was prudent to come back with re your request for some updates on potential future revenue sources. Um, during the 2024 budget preview retreat in July, uh, we reviewed a large number of currently unfunded projects uh, within the five-year outlook for the town. Um, owing to the fact that many of these cannot be funded with current reserve levels or even potentially within the next five years, uh, there was a request for more information on potential new revenue sources for the town to help fund these projects. Um, some of these include uh, civic center developments, outcomes of the Westvale and Ford Park master plans, and additional housing developments, in the, to name a few. <clears throat> um, to start with, within the civic area plan, a number of future revenue sources were actually identified there um, that we've repeated here uh, for consideration, and I'll go through a few of those at a high level. I'm also going to talk about um, maybe a less favored approach, which would be an increase to potential taxes in the town. Um, <clears throat> so the first uh, potential revenue source I'm gonna talk about from the Civic Area Plan is a Downtown Development Authority, or a DDA. Um, a DDA would require a voter approval of at least 50% of voters within the proposed Development Authority District. Um, once formed, a DDA directs or redirects property tax associated with new developments within that district, um, which are higher than the original property tax base. Uh, it is estimated that a DDA for the civic area could be capture between $13.1 and $30.9 million over a 30-year period <clears throat> if they were approved. Um, similar to this is an Urban Renewal Authority or URA, uh, in the event that a DDA wasn't supported by voters, uh, the town could move forward with a new URA after the Vale Reinvestment Authority expires in seven years. Uh, this requires significant administrative burden um, and also uh, would require us to get some consensus with other taxing uh, districts and with, um, who are affected by that uh, URA. It, it does have a very similar revenue capture mechanism and it would gather incremental tax, property tax revenues within that district. <clears throat> um, unlike a DDA or URA, the next revenue source considered is a private, private agreement and may be easier to adopt than other options. Uh, this is a public improvement fee or PIF. Uh, this fee would be applied to sales of goods and services sold by any future tenants within a new development. The fee amount is enforced by a private agreement between the development entity and its future tenants. Um, often the fee is collected in addition to sales tax with the municipality remitting the proceeds to the project developer. <clears throat> uh, because it's a private agreement, there are a lot of, there's a wide range of potential uses for this fee. Um, and it is estimated that this could generate 1.4 to 2.1 million dollars per year within the civic area. <clears throat> um, separate to fees and incremental revenue capture, uh, we've also included for discussion potential tax increases. Um, as we all know, this requires voter approval to move forward with any of these. So this would definitely be a future outlook. Um, I think the earliest we could really start to capture any new tax revenue would be 2025. Uh, sales tax is obviously our largest single source of revenue for the town, having generated $40.8 million in 2022. 
Um, tax increases tend to be less popular with voters, but they may gain more appeal uh, when linked to a specific use. Most recently, we passed uh, the housing sales tax of a half percent in 2021, which generated $4.9 million last year. Um, any additional incremental revenue could provide a significant source in future years. <clears throat> Another tax source that's primarily generated from visitor spending is lodging tax. The town's current Vail Local Marketing District tax of 1.4% is dedicated to marketing and promoting Vail primarily, primarily during the non-ski season. <clears throat> in 2022, this generated $5.4 million in revenue. An additional tax on lodging services, which includes short-term rentals, could generate significant uh, money for expanded purposes beyond marketing. A survey of registered voters in 2021 indicated 54% supported increasing the lodging tax by 2.2% to support year-round marketing initiatives and event spending in the town. Uh, that increase was not put on the ballot that year in favor of the housing tax initiative. And finally, uh, going back to our previous agenda item, the last revenue source we've included for discussion uh, would be an increase to the town's 4% lift tax. Uh, though this was supported with the understanding it would support transportation systems, it's not limited to that use and is part of our general fund revenue. Um, any increase here could be dedicated to a specific use or again, part of the general fund revenue. Um, you know, we took a look at this and we're finding that the current tax revenue isn't actually fully funding our transportation services. There's a deficit when we include capital costs and all expenditures of about $3 million a year uh, in what it costs to actually run our bus system here. Um, so that is one option, again, for, for funding future projects. <clears throat> um, and those are the that's the last item I have included for our information update today. Are there any questions on these or comments or other revenue sources you'd like to know about in the future? Now what is the deficit for running the bus system? We're estimating it's around $3 million per year when we look at um, bus replacements and all equipment costs that are associated with that. Okay, any questions for Alex? Yeah. Um, the complications of the URA, can you describe those a little more detailed? Simply because we have it in place and basically would take an act of the council to extend that? Uh, yes, it, it requires significant compliance with state laws. Um, you also have to bring in all the other taxing authorities that have mill levies within the district to gain some, my understanding is to gain some form of consensus on approving that URA? Yeah, it's, it's a process, and, and first you have to have an area that's blighted or meets a certain number of the factors, and the laws have all changed since you established your one current one in the Lionshead area, uh, so it's a lot more complicated. You know, the county's got a seat on the board. It's not just you guys anymore. Um, yeah, I don't see that one being huge. I'm not sure what area in town hasn't, you know, we could... You know, I haven't looked at the statute, but we, we could see as blighted. You can't do anything about extending yours. Yours expires when it expires. I mean, you could expand it. You did it one time, but you can't extend it. Uh, I, I see that one as, as you know, a tough one. Okay. 
Yeah, the one that makes the most sense is a lodging tax increase dedicated to special events and marketing, at least in my opinion. I mean, I think a lot of it just depends on, you know, what the plans, kind of what, what the programming is, right? Like, is it something that's going to generate sales tax revenue? Is it something that's going to generate real estate, you know, real estate transfer tax? Like, you know, a, a, a PIF is essentially a metro district, right? Okay. Yeah, I mean, so, um, yeah. I, I guess... We might have to pull all the levers. <laughs> <laughs> all of them. Okay, well, if there are no other questions, I think we'll move on. Thank you so much for pulling all this information together. I think it's going to be super helpful moving forward at some point. Thank you. All righty, next on the agenda is our DRB and PEC updates, and we've got Greg Roy here if anybody has any questions about those. Greg, we had a lot of talk in uh, PEC about the housing requirements. What's going to happen next there? Yeah, so this was an introduction to the Planning Commission on that application. It is coming back on Monday um, with the revised language for them to review. Um, so we'll take it to them and see if there's recommendation that they'll have for us. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Are we pushing to get rid of PEC review of all housing projects going forward? So the proposal would be to put some numbered standards in there currently. The PEC has some, I believe it's height, density, and a lot size, minimum lot size that the PEC sets. Generally, an applicant proposes something that's reviewed by the Planning Commission. The proposal is to put those numbers hard into, into town code so that it could go straight to the design review board. Um, there are some items in the language which will be on the packet for Monday that talks about the, the mobility plan. So if you want to go less parking, it would still have to be reviewed by the Planning Commission. But if the standards were being met, um, just like any other um, multifamily residential district, it would go straight to the Design Review Board. Okay, if there's no Great. other questions, we will continue on our agenda. Thank you, Greg. You're welcome. Right. Up next are information updates. We've got the August 7th Art and Public Places minutes, the August 22 Vail Local Housing Authority minutes, the August 17th Marketing District Advisory Council meeting minutes, the September 6th Commission on Special Events minutes, and the September 7th uh, Marketing District Advisory Council minutes. Any uh, questions or comments related to those? Greg Hall, my man, <laughs> AIPP. So those discussions about the art artist in residency building, so that was just, I mean, that building's gonna be built so it can operate year round, right? You know, and HVAC, um, all that kind of stuff, is that part of it or what are? What's that? Like HVAC and things like uh, yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, it no, just seems it, like this a, conversation a, about like future proofing. I just wanted to make sure that we're 
No, the, um, we're into the DRB right now, um, but yes, it has full systems in there to be year-round. You know, we're, we're trying to understand the demand in February or thing like that. I know uh, Molly had a meeting with uh, Nicola at the Betty Ford Alpine Garden really talking about year-round kind of synergy there yeah. uh, because I think they kind of suffer the same thing in, in the middle of the winter, you know, trying to have people find them. And so... Right. I mean, I would just encourage us kind of along the lines of putting in the conduit in advance, even if we don't put in the charger now, just making sure. Yeah, that yeah no, no, that, that building will be fully, so that we're uh, just by code, it needs, yeah. it's not a three-season, right. it's a four-season building. Perfect. Anything else? All right, if not, we'll move on to matters from mayor, council, and committee reports. And Jonathan, we'll just start with you and work our way down here. Ha! Huh. I like being at this end. Hmm. It's fun. Um, just a quick question on the, I had a constituent ask about the residents at Mainvale Lights, and um, apparently they throw off quite a bit of, um, the garage lights throw off quite a bit of light onto the highway, and I just wanted to see if that's going to be a permanent situation, or that was the question asked me, so I said I would ask you. I mean, are we dark? I'm assuming we're dark sky compliant. But. You know, they are dark sky because they're underneath the garage. So, right, okay. Um, so they're 100% covered. Um, and that's the way they've been approved. Um, because that slopes a little bit, the western side has a bigger opening than kind of the eastern side. Um, floor has to be level, but the garage slopes. So you're getting a little bit more opening on that side. And we can take a look at it um, a little bit. Maybe a little. Th th that's the way it's piece of laughing. Some sort. Anyway, okay. Thank you. Um, I don't, uh, we all got a letter about us, uh, the, the from the lady who lives in Matterhorn about speeding in Matterhorn, and I don't think it's a bad thing to look into maybe putting a permanent sign there, um, if it helps encourage people to slow down in our neighborhoods, um, which is something we've all been on about. Um, did you ever figure out what the strips are in front of the roost, Matt? Those little strips of grass, you said you were going to look into those? Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Strips of grass. Yeah, residents, is it? Mean? Depends on the type of grass. Residents, same. Thank you. Uh, yes, we're working with the applicant right now. Uh, they have a few items to complete before they get CO. They do not have a final CO. So we've asked them to look into uh, a different approach for those areas. So cool. we're waiting. Trees to, would be nice. To get shade uh, the path. Some landscape. Wildflowers. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks very much. Um, sure. I had I attended on behalf of the council in the town, along with Liz Gladich and Mia Villar, the um, Michelin Guide presentation for Colorado. This is the first guide that has been done on Colorado. Um, it was a great event, and as um, Jenna pointed out earlier, our logo was loud and clear, and it was very cool. And um, I wanted to take the opportunity to congratulate both Osaki's and Sweet Basil for getting a mention in the Michelin Guide, and along with our um, friends from Beaver Creek, Mirabelle, and Splendido, um, it's uh, it's a great it's a great honor to be included in that guide, and it has been for over 100 years now. So um, very excited about being a part of it in Vail, Colorado. 
And I think that's it for today. Thank you. <laughs> um, me? Next? Um, I just wanted to bring up that the amphitheater had a phenomenal summer this season. Um, I think we haven't met since, um, you know, they have one more event, but um, all the fun new concerts and everything are so great. Their cooperation with AEG is definitely paying off for our community, and we're finally seeing some big name acts come through our town. Um, yeah, and it was fun to have that community concert at the end on Thursday night. They're, they seem to be doing really well. Um, I really don't have anything else. Um, I just had one thing. I actually uh, was in Montana in Big Sky at that housing um, housing summit that was put together, and it was super interesting. I mean, there were <clears throat> folks from all over Colorado, Utah, Montana, California, and a couple other places representing private developers, contractors municipalities and it was great to see you know i think we're very progressive in how we're thinking about things and being action oriented to deliver housing there are some things we can learn um, from other communities a lot of it had to do with zoning and how um you know they're they've updated their zoning codes to encourage more private development i think jackson hole is, is got a lot of stuff in the pipeline and a lot of it's coming from the private sector um, kind of redeveloping properties and and you know having the incentives aligned so that the redevelopment is deed restricted um, stuff so I just wanted to give kudos to George and our housing department and Comdev and everybody for being forward-thinking and being leaders in the space that's it well, I just want to thank um, the Intermountain neighborhood for uh, being such great neighbors. I've been walking very slowly around the community this past month and just kind of reconnecting with my neighbors, and uh, it's been awesome. And uh, at the same time, reading emails about how much speeding there's going on, and you know, I see a little bit of that in Intermountain, although the new speed limits have really helped. Um, we might want to consider something like adopting slow neighborhoods and simply, you know, not just for the, the traffic calming, but just to reconnect with our neighbors. We've just got some great people in this, in this town, in this communities, and I just really want to encourage everybody to just take the time to slow down, walk your neighborhoods, and connect with your, your neighbors. So thanks so much to everyone in Intermountain. I really love being there. I wish I still lived there. Hey, uh, the board reception on at the community concert um, for all the different boards and commissions that we have didn't really seem like we had as many people as we could. Right, the highway was backed up that day too, but it was just disappointing to see. But Stephanie, thank you for putting together a great event. You did everything, you know, get that rolling. Um, Lion said Oktoberfest. Um, went off pretty well, but the footprint surprised a lot of people when it first uh, was set up on Friday of that week. Um, Jeremy and uh, people worked that out with the folks that were impacted, but if, it, if it, an event's gonna expand, people should know about that a little bit more in advance rather than finding out about it when we um, open up the venue. 
Uh, the police presence that weekend was phenomenal. We saw our officers walking around all the time, um, out in the community, talking to people and being proactive. That was great to see, because I had never seen that before at Oktoberfest. And then some of the musicians were wondering about the staggered starting times to um, help the businesses with their own private things, and maybe there can be a little bit better integration next year between the promoters and the private businesses to make sure that everybody's getting their just due over there. Um, the sandstone underpass fence has been fixed. Thank you, Public Works, and everybody that got that going. And I want to give a big shout out to the firefighters from Station 2 on Saturday night. We had a wedding over in Lionshead that had uh, nine members of the, nine retired members of the New York City Fire Department in attendance. And the guys from Station 2 brought the engine over and came over and talked to those firefighters and let them know just how much they appreciated everything they had done. And the camaraderie between firefighters is pretty special to see. And, uh, there were a lot of really impressed ex-New York people saying, wow, Vail went out of their way to come over and thank us for everything. So it was nice to see. So Chief, thanks. I don't know which group was on that night, but whichever one, tell them thanks. And then they responded to the three-alarm fire out in East Hill, which was awesome as well. Yeah, and that one didn't spread, so good work. Okay, well, if that's it, I think we will uh, recess now and we will reconvene for our evening se session at 6 o'clock.